Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Gosh, phase two, lock easing was all we were talking about on Friday, but it's Monday. And so we're looking at sectors and stocks that would make strong investments. Also, I caught an interview with Mohamed El Arian, chief economist at Allianz, where he highlighted his fear and what he said investors need to look out for. And that is zombie markets and zombie companies. He was referring to the distortion in markets and the Fed's role in structuring an adequate response. Really, whether the Fed was the right tool to be doing that. Also, the International Energy agency has highlighted a green plan for world leaders to help fix the global economy. What's that all about and why does it matter for you investors? I'm going to find out with Jacob Dew, CIO of Envision Wealth Management. Jacob, how are you this morning? I'm okay. Great to be back. Thank you very much. How was phase two reopening Friday for you? What was the first thing that you did? Well, well, I was a bit cautious about, you know, getting in very crowded places. So you know, I, I had to stick to the usual places where there's won't be expecting a lot of crowds. But then, you know, given part of the days over the weekend, mm-hmm. there was it was just crowded everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but I share your, your conservation, uh, you know, conservative approach to heading to crowded areas as well. All right, this morning, Asian stocks I see are trending lower. Tokyo, Seoul, Sydney, all in the red, uh, weighing down sentiment, the rising number of COVID-19 cases, particularly in the U.S. What is your read on U.S. and Singapore markets this Monday morning? Well, the the way I look at it is that um, for the U.S. markets, it's it's the, the problem I'm facing seeing is the market itself has gone up way too high, and it's probably because of the fact that a lot of retail investors have come to markets in order to buy these stocks, and especially what you mentioned earlier, the zombie stocks itself. I mean. The fact is that because everyone is taking comfort from the Federal Reserve having to buy these this, uh, corporate bonds of high-yield um, high bonds self of um, companies that's not really making money, they have high level of debts, they do not have uh, strong financials to back it up, and um, it's just gone go one-way street. And um, on, with that backdrop, a lot of retail investors have been pretty bullish, or rather I would say falsely bullish on, on that front. I don't think the market on an overall basis is going to be very sustainable. And um, on, a, on a longer term, on a rather on a short term basis, I would think that there could be some correction. But on an overall basis, I would say that there's a certain level of support, um, maybe another 10% or 20% from here itself. For the Singapore market itself, well, I think it's being a catch up at this point in time. I mean, given the slow opening, everyone is trying to grapple with basically what's going on. And uh, if you look at stocks themselves, yes, some, there's some certain level of recovery. But um, if you would ask me exactly which particular sector that we're interested in, I'll be more looking at towards the industry REITs, um, primarily because we notice exactly on the what happened over the weekend when we have phase two opening. Um, a lot of shopping malls may be open, but there are quite a number of shops that actually close permanently. So which means that it seems to indicate a lot of consumers are moving to online uh, purchases, and that in itself for, for eventually force companies to think about having logistical um, capabilities in order to meet the online demand. Mm, great point there. So investors want to ride on changing consumer habits. I want to pick up on what you talked about, more moving online. Are there specific companies or, or areas they should be looking at then if they want to tag on changing consumer habits? Yeah, I mean, the for 
<clears throat> I would say that I would prefer to uh, for those general industry reads because then it will be, uh, be much better. But with regard to the healthcare sector itself, I'll be a bit cautious um, because the stocks themselves have had a very good run. Um, some of these stocks has gone up by you know multiple times already since March levels. Mm-hmm. Um, although on an overall basis, I'm still pretty bullish on the sector, but on the individual stock, the individual company basis, um, because of the you know, huge run they have, we have seen since March, I'm pretty cautious at these levels. All right. Just coming back to that point on changing consumer habits, um, are, what do you think about data stocks, Zoom, Equinox, REIT, for example, heavily reliant on remote working forces? Well, on remote working itself, I would say that the at this point, everyone is trying to see exactly how will that work and the impact on efficiency for the company. Um, if you look at this um, recent example where HSBC actually moving to a new building itself and taking seven floors, and that's pretty surprising compared to say Stanchart who has taken twenty over floors in MBSC Tower One. Mm-hmm. So that itself can tell you exactly the changing in terms of mindset of how companies will want to work going forward. And you have a lot of hot desks. It's no longer permanent desk, but a hot desk. Mm-hmm. So every one company is actually experimenting that on that basis. So I would say that um, eventually, about six months down the road, when you see the impact on efficiency is not too great, mm. I think company going forward will move towards uh, something like that. And for companies who are actually providing such services, mm-hmm. um, it remains to be seen over the next six months. But I wouldn't say that it's going to be um, a full fledged uh, where it's going to be a big wave that everybody moving in that direction. Interesting. He's Jacob Dew, CIO of Envision Wealth Management. So what are you advising your clients now in terms of opportunities? Well, I'm still sticking to, on a longer term basis, I'm still sticking to the 5G sector and even the cloud services. So the last time when we discussed about the SD engineering and um, Singapore technologies, those are still the primary long-term plays I would like to have. On the short-term-wise, I will, I will not touch uh, healthcare for now, but I will touch on biomedical sector. Um, as it is right now, we are screening a couple of stocks, well, given what Hing uh, Secret has announced over the weekend. Um, on the um, on the REIT side, I mentioned the, uh, the only REIT sector I'm looking at is only the industrial REITs, but definitely not the hospitality, not the commercial REITs, because this, I would think they're going to struggle for a long while and it will right into next year itself. Um, with regard to the banking sector, mm-hmm. well, it has a pretty good run recently. Um, I will think that um, given the... It's still far away from the highs we have seen, like both, both DBS and even UOB, and, came, and the high was about $30, $31, and currently is trading at least $10 away from that, and OCBC, a high of $14, currently trading at $9.11. So I would think that um, there's still some room, but um, I would pre- prefer to wait for a while to take have a better uh, look at exactly how the share price is going to behave before getting into the market in this, for these stocks. Makes sense. When it comes to biomedical stocks, uh, you say you're screening some stocks. Are they sort of local or international? Oh, yeah, we're looking at both, actually. Um, in fact, we are also looking at some of these private equity deals because then um, we have been shown a couple of things, especially for companies who are actually looking at uh, discovering the next vaccines or even those who are providing services to these companies who to achieve um, the, the you know vaccine discovery itself. 
So the it's it's like um, I mean views of which I can't share too much, but I would say that in terms of the technology, in terms of the finding itself, is very interesting. And uh, talks are also involving, um, I would say, governments. Does indeed sound very interesting. I want to ask you about MedTechs International Limited. They're an integrated healthcare products and services provider here in Asia Pacific. Uh, they manufacture and distribute medical consumables. So on Thursday, I noticed that Catalyst listed MedTechs hit a high of 31 Singapore cents, and they were the most heavily traded by volume on the SGX. Um, currently trading at 30 cents, up by 3.39%. Jacob, what do you make of the company and its valuation? Well, I would look, if you were to look at the company way before the um, COVID-19 incident itself, um, it has a pretty, I would say, relatively low cash flows and um, it has, well, I would say it has no earnings. It has not been paying dividends. Um, but because of the COVID-19 and the demand for the PPEs, um, the share price since March itself has gone up by 500% already. So the market cap of the company has gone from a 20 million market cap to 160 over million market cap in the space of a quarter. Wow. That, to me, it's pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and um, over the weekend, when they had the AGM and announced that uh, they foresee that uh, the earnings will remain the same as first half, well, if you were to look at the overall picture, um, the initial demand that came from around the world was just um, because there was a shortage. Now, there, were many, there are many companies, just look at your face masks, look at your sanitizers, look mm. at you know, things in general. Mm. It's available everywhere. True. Right. So, and the competition is going to be keen from here on, and everyone is moving into that. So to me, it's, the sustainability is a question, mm. and having a share price that's gone up by 500% in, in a quarter, um, I mean, I, I'm not comfortable. All right. I got it. Got it. So <laughs> you say you're screening for biomedical stocks. I won't ask you about the specific stocks, obviously, but I wonder if you can share your screening criteria so listeners who want to look out for biomedical plays know what to look out for. Okay. The, the, the main important thing is that um, the, when we want to look at the specific stock in the company itself, mm-hmm. we are not looking at just the financials alone. We want to understand exactly the methodology and the rationale, how they, how they actually determine the specific vaccine or specific drug itself um, has the highest potential, the highest chance of getting to the market. And that involves discussion around, firstly, not only just in terms of the risk management, in terms of the research. And research is very detailed to the extent that um, how does the drug work on animals, on humans, and what the trials like, and what's the rationale? Because everyone is probably going to tell you almost very similar stories, but we need to drill down even deeper into how the specific drug actually target the human cells. Because if you understand about vaccine itself, mm-hmm. vaccine generally, um, it's like it only helps you to create and certain antibodies. But after you got infected. But uh, there's certain drugs out there, certain research going on right now out there where essentially um, it will go beyond just uh, coming out with antibodies that will target only one specific type of illness. Um, there are certain drugs that actually will target different type of illnesses at the same time. So 
if you understand the uh, the history of vaccines, it's like if uh, today I, I have got a dengue fever, dengue one, for mm. example, and vaccine um, that is being created will only be able to treat only dengue one, but it, it will not be able to treat dengue two or three. Right. And that's where the issue is. But the drug that we're talking to, I mean, the drug company that we're talking to, mm. um, has now gone to the stage of developing one specific type of vaccine where one, two, three, they're able to handle it. So that's exactly where we're coming from. We want to make sure that, you know, there's a, there's a growth potential in that kind of discovery. Right. So right now, they're looking for this COVID-19 mm. um, vaccine. Yeah, it will be able to do it. But what next? You're already looking ahead, really. At what next? Uh, what the scalability or the expanded use of the vaccine? Really fascinating. Jacob Du, CIO of Envision Wealth Management, joining me live. This is Money and Me. So on Friday we heard this phrase. Uh, it might be new to to some newbie investors. Quadruple witching day. So that's the simultaneous expiration of stock options, stock index futures, stock index option contracts, all happening on the same day. Happens only four times a year on the third Friday of March, June, September and December. Uh, did you see any sort of reaction from markets, Jacob, to quadruple witching day? Well, I would say that uh, we do not see much in Singapore. Um, I guess, you know, with the recent announcement that MSCI is going to move their futures and options contracts uh, over to Hong Kong by next year, um, generally in the derivative market in Singapore, it's, the impact is not, friend, uh, it's not great. But in the U.S., that's a completely different story altogether. Um, when that uh, triple witching or quadruple witching day actually occurs, um, it causes a, a, a lot of volatility. And that's exactly what most traders would like to have. Now, in terms of direction, it's going to be difficult to tell because um, it differs from quarter to quarter. And some day, on some quarters itself, you can see that after the entire um, witching day has passed, the market on the next day drops. And um, recent occasion, you can see that the market has increased instead. So what we are looking at more is that, you know, one, in terms of direction-wise, it's going to be difficult because we need to information with regard to how much is the open interest available. And the way we position ourselves is that, you know, looking at, the only thing is that certain is the volatility will increase. So... Um, would you prefer to play on the fact that the one before the actual day happens, we will be we would like to be long Vega, and uh, once it's after, you know, we'll sell off the Vega. So you know, we'll make a, a tiny amount of profit on the back of um, in such a movement. He is Jacob Du, CIO of Envision Wealth Management. Thanks for explaining uh, Triple Witching Day and, and the uh, outlook that you you see so far or the impact that you see so far. I want to switch gears now and, and speak to this topic of zombie markets, zombie companies, trying to understand a little more of uh, the implications of that. Mohammed El Arian, Chief Economic Advisor at Allianz, saying, you know, this is something that investors should be worried about. Let's take a listen to it. If we don't get specific policies that we can talk about, it will be a long and rather flattish recovery. And we have to understand that we're going to come from levels that will still be eye-popping, notwithstanding really horrible numbers we've seen so far. So we are going to be in a very deep hole. And unless we get policy accelerators, it will take us quite a long time to get out of it. You've got to address productivity. It's about infrastructure. It's about retooling and retraining of labor. You've got to address household economic insecurity. It's about better safety nets. And then you've got to do something about globalization. Um, it's one thing to deglobalize. It's another thing to deglobalize in a disorderly fashion. 
Here's El Arian speaking on the role of the Fed and the distortions that he's seen so far. It is certainly not the Fed's job. In fact, if the Fed continues doing what it's doing, it will become a big part of the problem. All that the Fed can do is ensure financial conditions that encourage risk-taking, encourage companies to borrow. Why? The hope that the more risk we take, we boost up asset prices. The more we boost up asset prices, the better off we feel. And the better off we feel, the more we consume. The wealth effect. And then on the other side, the hope is by making bond financing really cheap, it will encourage companies to borrow in order to invest. But what we've discovered is that when that happens and the underlying economy is not fixed, companies borrow for debt buybacks, for for stock buybacks. They borrow for financial engineering, basically. And people take on too much risk and you don't get to the real economy. So you boost asset prices, you boost debt, you boost everything financial, but you don't get to the real economy. That is, I stress, that is the way that the Fed is constructed. It can only go through asset markets. So you need entities that can actually address underlying productivity and underlying demand. All right. So, Jacob, what do you think of that point that uh, the Fed's interventions is boosting risk appetite? The perception is that central banks are the buyers of last resort. It's uh, intensified a broader hunt for yield and, and zombie markets. Well, it's definitely very true. I mean, if you recall a couple months back when um, you know Federal Reserve actually announced that they're going to start buying um, the, you know, coming to the market to buy the ETFs and even to buy high-yield bonds, collateralized loan obligations, mortgage-backed securities. Um, you know, then I was mentioning about the credit backstop that they're providing. That in itself actually encourages risk-taking unnecessarily. And it's not going to be sustainable. And the fact is that the Federal Reserve has not adopted a um, holistic approach in, the, in how to resolve problems. Because whenever we face a crisis, you can see it in the 2008 in, in a dot-com boom. Um, the only thing they tend to do is always helping the Wall Street company. Mm. So the economy overall is not benefiting. So the fact is that you know, when you have got in the Wall Street that actually has come with scandals, they get bailed out. Now, in this current crisis we're facing, which is the health crisis, again, it's the Wall Street guys that's going to get bailed out. So the companies themselves are not benefiting because if you're going to buy the bond, it doesn't really matter because it's the financial markets, the financial firms who are going to be like, oh, wow, well, okay, the Federal Reserve is coming in to buy my bonds. Mm. I'm going to buy these bonds off me. Mm. I wouldn't off, risk off. I would just throw it back to them knowing that this guy is going to buy off me. Otherwise, I would join the bandwagon to take on more risk because I know at the end of the day, I have got the Federal Reserve who is going to provide the liquidity. The issue is more like, you know, the companies who actually are having high leverage. Now, it's not going to be sustainable. If right now the Federal Reserve have announced that they're going to come in with $250 billion, when is it going to end? Because then we have seen in the past in 2008, they have not changed their stance. When they came up with QE um, program in 2008, it was $2 trillion. Right now we're looking at almost $7 trillion. And it has not come that, so they never rolled back those programs ever since. Right. And it's going to be very difficult once you start down this path. Mm. It's going to be difficult for them to roll it back in time to come. 
So they say the next big thing in global monetary policy could be yield curve control. You know, this strategy that uses bond purchases to pin down yields on certain maturities to a specific target date, uh, usually seen as unusual. I think only Bank of Japan four years ago deployed that. Uh, Do you think that this is going to make matters worse or, or better? Well, if you, we have seen the example of Japan, and they have been doing this for a long time. In fact, if you look at what the, the Bank of Japan have done over, over the last few decades, um, they have been buying bonds and they've been buying shares. And honestly, they have been the owners of all, more than 50% of the corporate bonds and even shares of companies in Japan. And has the economy really recovered to a, a sustainable basis? No, it has not. So the thing is, it's going to be a dangerous path to follow that as a model. And already, you know, signs are showing where even the European Union themselves, New Zealand, um, even now US, everyone is doing that. And the discussion right now on the sidelines is about not only just about your control, but also about negative rates. Mm. So that itself, to me, it's going to be, it's not going to be helpful at all because you can see Japan's, Japan is a clear example. It has not recovered ever since they started this program. Still deflationary spiral it's in. That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we let you go, Jacob, uh, I want to talk about this green recovery plan IEA has outlined, uh, a plan for world leaders to help fix the global economy, $3 trillion on the cards. So do you think pumping stimulus in this plan is going to change the grim outlook that JP, Jerome Powell, highlighted recently? Well, I would say that um, on, on surface, it looks great with mm-hmm. so much money being pumped into it. The problem is if the governments themselves are not, um, they do not have a specific strategy, right? So the devil's lies in the details. If they're not very clear, not committed to ensuring the success of this plan itself, it's not going to work, regardless of how much money you're going to put in inside. We have seen in the past, or very recent years, that the United States have pulled themselves out of every international agreements and plans. So it's going to be very difficult. And also because if you look at the countries themselves, they do have their internal political requirements, as in like, you know, they have got their own industry to protect. And that's why you look at climate change, even with your green recovery plan, look at the climate change alone. I mean, it's even difficult to get countries to agree exactly on these common standards. So, you know, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a long discussion. And this thing, I will foresee, we will still be in this discussion phase itself over the next five years. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. 26 years of structured finance and multi-asset class investment experience there. Jacob Du joining us live in Money and Me. Jacob is the CIO of Envision Wealth Management. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.